Thank you for selecting this presentation brought to you by the Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center's Media Ministry. Sit back and relax and prepare to hear God's Word. And now here's today's speaker. As you were probably expecting, this is our third Sunday in the month, so usually there, a deaconess would be here, but she wasn't able to be here this morning, so you're stuck with me again. And what we are going to do, we were would have been going on uh, into chapter 21 today, 21 through 24, and there's more of the laws that uh, the Lord had given Moses for the people. But um, rather than do that, and I don't know, we, we may still touch on that a little bit, uh, we've decided with a prompting from a couple of places uh, that we would just stop right here at this moment and take an opportunity to do some questions and answers and some review. So for those of you that may be uh, slightly new to our class, we're in the book of Exodus. And we have been talking about some of the main characters so far in the first 20 chapters of the book of Exodus have been Moses, Aaron, Pharaoh of Egypt. There's actually, I believe, two different pharaohs that take that are in office during this particular stretch of time. Um, there's also some mention of Miriam. Uh, there is Jethro and Zipporah. Can we think of anybody else? Uh, we did. Yeah, we did. We did briefly mention Joshua, and I've d- d- discovered his name is actually pronounced Hur. Here, yeah. So, and uh, as far as place, well, those I think those are about the main people. Can you think of any other names? Well, there's a group of people: the Amaleks, the Malachites. Malachites, and I guess that's, well, the Egyptians too. Well, not only their leader, but also them as a people. Okay, so we have been talking about these, these particular people for some time now, for several weeks, as we've learned about Moses. Now, those of you that are not completely familiar with Moses, but you may have heard him from time to time, some things you probably will equate with Moses are burning bush, uh, ten plagues, what Red Sea, ten commandments. What else? What are some other topics we've discussed that have gone in line with Moses? The, uh, the baby in the basket. Very good. The basket. We'll put him in the. Uh, Right, he was being raised in Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, what do we look at? You may think of wilderness when you hear about Moses. Was they killing an Egyptian? Well, that'll go with that in our Red Sea, with the Red Sea as far as Egyptians. There was something else I had right there on the tip of my tongue, and where did it go? Hmm. Okay, well, we'll we'll start with you. So these are some of the 
the uh, ideas, some of the people, some of the things that we have covered over the past, I think it's been about 10 weeks or so. Uh, well, I think so. I think the last CD we had last week was part 10 of Exodus. So it's been a while. And we're up to, like I said, about chapter 20. And usually during class, we try to have a little bit of time left for question and answer. But we've now become notorious for going over in our time in Sunday school. So this is our opportunity today uh, to come up or to discuss any questions that you've had, any ideas that have come up that you may have wanted to be able to explore a little bit more in depth uh, in the time that we have allotted with us today. So we're going to open up the floor, speak loudly so you can be picked up on the microphone. And let's go. Who has something first? Anna, you have your hand up? Okay. Who has a question first? And we, like I said, we've, we've been with Moses for a while. Remember his first encounter with God. He was indeed um, raised by uh, an Egyptian in the house of Pharaoh. Uh, but then he moves away. There was an incident that takes place and he moves away uh, where he meets his soon-to-be father-in-law Jethro and then his, his wife Zipporah. And then he has an encounter with God our burning bush incident, where we could say he receives his calling, so to speak. Uh, the moment in his life where God speaks to him and tells him what it is, his life, his life's plan, you know, what his calling, what it is he's supposed to do with his life. Now, all of us should have some type of burning bush experience. It may not be as extravagant as seeing a bush on fire that's not consumed, but there should be a point in our lives where we have an experience with God where when we walk away from that experience, we know what our life's purpose is. If you have not had that, then I would encourage you to pray and ask God what it is your purpose is. Because going through life is hard enough when you know what you're supposed to do. We can see that in Moses' life when he knew he was doing what God called him to do. He had enough trouble. Now, I can't imagine how it is just sort of drifting through life, serving God and not knowing exactly what it is he wants you to do. Now, it may not be anything as dramatic as leading an entire nation out of slavery, but leading one person out of slavery is a pretty big deal. And so I know, especially if it were me and I were the one that was enslaved, and you, because of the life choices that you've made, because you've heard from God, would speak to me uh, and show me how I could be set free, I would be forever indebted to you. So it is very important for us to have that burning bush experience uh, so that we know what God has called us to do. Okay, you guys have been wanting to question that. So yes, sir. And the children of Israel in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. When God did something great, they automatically were ready to give Him praise and dance, and, and you know, and, and, and oh, that's exactly right. Oh. But the minute it was over with, I mean, you know, back in the, back in the wilderness, back that's one right. man, we're, we're 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 guilty of that too. That's true. That's right. That is true. That is exactly true. We are definitely prone to do that when things are going well then we are all happy. And even if it's not even so much as being upset with God, it can be children and their parents. When your parents are giving you everything you ask for, well, then they're the best mom and dad in the world. 
But the minute they say no to you, then they become evil. And, oh, I can't believe they're treating me this way. And then you're telling, I see your hand, I'll get you. And then they are telling everybody how they don't ever do this for me and they don't ever do that for me. We have to be careful about, you know, being ungrateful. That's right. Ungrateful. And sometimes, sometimes I tell my children, you know, all I'm really required to do is to provide a place for you, you know, something to eat and some clothing, you know. Clothing. You know, that's all I'm really required. I, I, can, I can stay, out of, I can stay out, out of jail with those. <laughs> now, if you want something extra, <laughs> there's going to be some give and take. Yeah. You want to be able to decorate your room the way you want it. You want the nice clothes. You want to pick out some, you know, nice food, particular things then hey, you know, those things, those are privileges, right? God has told us when he would be in covenant with us, he would provide, protect, that he would prosper us. He's given us a chance at eternal life. That's what's necessary. If you want a little gravy on your potatoes, I suggest we be praising him always Always. (laughs) and not just right after he's delivered us from some big thing. So that's some things we need to think about. God wants our praise. Think about how you respond when you're in a relationship with somebody that's always complimenting you, that's praising you, that's building you up. You want to do more for them, right? And we need to, you know, think about that. We don't want to always be in God's face complaining, well, you didn't do this and you didn't do that and I thought it was going to be this way and it's not that way, okay? We want to give him praise. Hold on just a minute, Dylan. Yes, sir, in the back. Right. So it sort of put Moses in limbo to where he really wasn't in the hierarchy, but he was sort of caught in between, you know, in the royal family, but not in the royal family, so Right. Because Mo- Moses was being raised by the Pharaoh's daughter, he would have undergone whatever training that the men, child, children would have gone through as being in the royal family. Now, whether or not he was next in line, doesn't seem likely, unless, of course, that maybe there was a situation where the Pharaoh didn't have any sons. I mean, we would have to go into some assumptions for that. And plus, you also have to look at the fact that much like our, the, the, the Pharaoh in Egypt wasn't so much like, sometimes you can look at it now in some of our um, uh, countries where there is a royal family, where then the next in line birth order would take over. Well, it, it wasn't entirely that. It's more so to me. I equate it with like our president of the United States. It's not that just because you happen to be the son of somebody who was a president that you will automatically be president. Uh, There was also, you know, different countries coming in, different wars, battles, people that come over that would come and take over and then be king or then be the pharaoh. So it's possible that Moses may have been in line to become a pharaoh of Egypt. But whether he was or not, we don't know. But we know that being in the royal family, he would have been trained uh, to be some type of political leader. Even if not the pharaoh, he would have been in some supervisory position, something, some, some type of political office uh, because of the family he was raised in. So that when he, when he goes out, 
and he sees and he slays the Egyptian, it, you, know, you have to look at the fact that he has now uh, disobeyed the Pharaoh because the Egyptian was doing what he had orders to do. You know, he was you over the slaves, however you treat the slaves, but it could have looked like he was coming against the Pharaoh's authority. So he had a right to be afraid for his life at that point. Hold, hold on, go ahead. Well, now remember that these were two different, the, the Pharaoh that was in office when Moses was raised in the house of Pharaoh was not the same Pharaoh that was there when Moses went back. While he, because before he goes back into Egypt, God tells him, you know, that that Pharaoh is dead, that Pharaoh is gone. So this is somebody different that's in power. And also too, there is some, uh, some, some believe that when the Pharaoh's army drowns in the Red Sea, although there was one portion of scripture, <clears throat> excuse me, that says that he went out with the army. It's not entirely confirmed that he would have drowned with the army. It could have just been him, him going out with the army and that he gave them the command to go yeah. forth. Yeah. But not necessarily that he was with them when they drowned. But it was two different pharaohs, two different ones. Uh, I think Dylan, you were next. Go ahead. Who? Pharaohs in Egypt, uh, there were anybody know? Anybody know? As far he's talking about the religion of the Egyptians. Yes. Uh, what were they? The Egyptians had many gods. Uh, uh, Baal, uh, Balaam. Uh, Very good. They were what we consider a polytheistic society, meaning that they worshipped many gods. They had a god of fertility. They had a god of you know as far as the the weather. Um, different things, and so they worshipped many different gods, uh, and but not Jehovah as the Israelites worshipped. You pronounce that word polytheistic. 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 And mm-hmm. the meaning is many gods. Many gods, as opposed to a monotheistic. That's polygamy. <laughs> as opposed to monotheistic, which is what we would be yeah, worshiping well, one god. Okay. Uh, I think we were here first. Go ahead. Okay, I wanted to bring out about Pharaoh that when we look at this, we really discuss another Pharaoh with Joseph. Now, had that Pharaoh still been alive uh, during that, you know, when, when Joseph was mm-hmm. there, had that Pharaoh, then Moses probably would because Joseph was right next to the Pharaoh. So had he still, if, if, the, if the way of thinking from mm-hmm. him would still been there, then Moses probably would have been next in line. Because that's, that's people possible. Had, they was accustomed to Joseph and uh, the Egyptians, and, uh, not the Egyptians, but the but Israelites. The, the thing you need to remember, too, sometimes it gets confusing. Yeah, Pharaoh, time, Pharaoh is a title, yeah. just like we say president or uh-huh. king or queen. It was not a name. Pharaoh was the title. And in fact, the Pharaoh in Egypt, Dylan, and along with your question, the Pharaoh in Egypt, whoever the Pharaoh was at the time, was also treated as a god. He was worshipped as a god as well, along with the other gods that they had. Now, between the time that Joseph and his family goes to Egypt and Moses is leading them out, there is a space of, you know, around 400 years. So that lets us know, since we don't read about anybody in this portion 
of history that have lived that long, that we're talking about more than one pharaoh. So there's been a series of pharaohs. There's also been a series of, at one point, it's believed that the pharaoh that was in power during the time that Joseph came and was able to rise up through the ranks was not a native Egyptian. So having other people come in was not so much a big deal. But remember the pharaoh that was in power when the Egyptians become, became slaves, his concern was there are a lot of them. What happens if they try to take over? He was a native Egyptian. So there was that fear, and rightly so, that somebody else among you that was not a native uh, may rise up and join with the enemy if an enemy came in to attack. So you're looking at that dynamic as well. Remember we talked about how in our country uh, during the time of Pearl Harbor incident, there were Japanese Americans. Uh, They were American citizens, second generation, third generation, but because they had Japanese ancestry, um, our government, some of the people in our government, feared that, well, what if they decide to side with the enemy? And so those people were moved to the middle part of the country, moved away if they lived in the coastal areas. Uh, They were moved to uh, something like a, you know, uh, they were called internment camps. Uh, and everything they had, businesses or whatever, was just left and gone as they were moved in because of the fear that they would join with the enemy. Something along those lines that, that that pharaoh had, some fear, you're looking at a nation of people as large as the Israelites were. What happens if somebody comes in to attack us? What if they decide to side with the enemy? And so you can see, if you step back, you can see you know, what maybe he you know, could have rightly been so afraid because it had happened before. They had been, you know, uh, Egypt had been ruled by non-native Egyptians before. Yes. You know, I, with Dylan's question, I thought it was real interesting that the ten plagues really showed the power of the true God, Jehovah, yeah. over all these false yeah. gods because when he would send a plague of frogs, mm-hmm. their frog god couldn't do anything about it, or mm-hmm. the sun god couldn't do anything about the darkness. And, That's right. Yeah. They would, each of the plagues would have something to do, would show them how, although you're worshiping this particular god that's supposed to have power over this element, Jehovah is able to control it, and there's nothing that they're doing. Amen. You know, they're sitting back while the land is being you know, laid waste, by the power of this God. So we see how even in those incidents, it was to show the people the power of God, not just the Israel. I mean, and it was to show them both. Yes, it showed the Egyptians how powerful God was, but he also needed to show his own people how powerful he was so that when they got in other circumstances, they wouldn't be afraid. They wouldn't be fearful, but they would realize that, you know, this is our God. He can bring us out of that. So we can take it, you know, take note of that when things are going on in our lives. When God delivers us, yes, it it will show our testimony will help others, but it will also help us. And that sometimes we need to be reminded just how powerful our God is. Sometimes we can forget and we can think that our circumstance that we're in is stronger than God. And so we, what do we, we bow down to the circumstance or we say under the circumstance, we become under the circumstance giving it more power and, and more authority, more reverence than we do our God. Amen. And that's a very easy thing to find yourself in. Was there anybody else that had their hand up that I hadn't called on just yet? Okay, go ahead. Uh, the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. The, the first commandment. I mean, think about this. Moses was getting the commandments. And the first commandment that God gave was what? 
Who knows? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Mm-hmm. While God was giving this commandment, the children of Israel were down. Not yet. Not, 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 I know. Not, not yet. Not yet. Yes. So far, they have said what? Everything you tell us to do, God, well, we yeah, will do. That's okay. right. That's so right. we're still in the praise mode. Right. <laughs> yeah, but, but because of the delay, because of the, the time frame, because Moses didn't come back. Moses was gone how many days? Actually, during that, he was getting something else. He was, during, when he, during the time when he got the Ten Commandments and he came in and told them that, it's several chapters over when he goes up and he's in the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights as he's getting the remainder of the law, uh, the covenant that God is giving him, that then the people become afraid, well, you know, hey, he hasn't come back yet. But that's not for another week or two, so we can't discuss that. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, just, I just found, not... not, not right, not right, go ahead. Report, but I just found it interesting... That's the first commandment that God gave. The first mm-hmm. commandment that he gave after all he did to the Egyptians. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, after all he showed to the Egyptians. The first commandment he gave. And even today, you know, we, we, we go back on that and we think, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And how many gods we have before we, God today? We, if, if we're honest with ourselves as a nation, as a country, as a world, period, it's not so far-fetched to see this right. polytheistic. That's right. Now, we may not have statues that are dedicated to particular... But any time we put something or someone before God, then they have, in fact, become a God to us. It has become a God to us. And so you see this whole polytheism, it's not going away. I mean, it, it's still here. You know, even here in this nation that's supposed to be, you know, founded on Christian beliefs and backgrounds it is still here now the thing when we say when when he says don't have any other god before me look at how long you take a society that's monotheistic which is what jacob's family was they worshiped jehovah and you put them into an environment where polytheism is the way of life and they live there one generation after the next, after the next, after the next. It doesn't take long to see how they can very easily gravitate toward this. Because and to some extent, we can become products of our environment. Just like with our, in our own homes, although we may have a monotheistic household, if we don't practice this and if we don't teach our children this, then our children may still believe but our grandchildren are going to start to think, well, yeah, okay, I see God. Yeah, got it, got it. Christian, got it. That's what we are. But then our great-grandchildren, what? What were they talking about? What? Something, I don't know why we go to church on Sunday. I don't even know. I haven't read the Bible since I've been in the world. And then our great-great-grandchildren, I don't, I don't, we don't even fool with it. Mom and Dad went to church, but I don't remember why, so I'm not going. So you can see how over time... If you're not teaching, then they're going to learn from what's around them. And as we can see from the children of Israel, when they went out of Egypt, remember how we said, although God quickly took them out of Egypt, it took some time for him to get the Egypt out of them. So that lets us know that at some point in time, they stopped being so adamant about their just being Jehovah. And although in name they remembered that there is a God that our ancestors served, that should be able to deliver us from this slavery, and they cried out to him. 
In their minds, they remembered. In their hearts, they had strayed away. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, just going back to your point and, and how, how erosion has taken place in the United States of, in, 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 in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. uh, most of our colleges, our major colleges, even Harvard, was founded on the Christian belief. As a matter of fact, most of the graduates, I think 70-something percent of the graduates when Harvard first started were graduates of the ministry. And these were all, most of your colleges if you, around the United States, if you'll say it like it's Baptist, maybe Baptist, Methodist you're college right, or something right. like mm -hmm. that. They were founded, money was granted from, you know, and they were found on that belief. And that's what they were, it wasn't doctors and lawyers that they were graduating to begin with. The, the, the more they were, the more people they were graduating were people, the ministers from the Bible. Now you see these same colleges, you know, most of them have adapted an, 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 an atheist uh, doctrine, you know, Mm -hmm. toward God. Toward God that founded and got them and got this country going, they have adopted an atheist because a lot of your uh, a lot of your uh, a lot of your major colleges, especially you know your uh, some of your uh, what you know, I hate putting but they what they call Ivy Ivy, Ivy League Ivy schools. Ivy League schools. You know, they've adopted that. They teach evolution, they teach uh, uh, or some form of evolution, which is the Big Bang Theory, or you know, continuation, or, mm -hmm. or whatever. And they won't have. They don't believe in the miracles of God, or, or, or they don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. And every one of these were founded on the Christian Judeo mm -hmm. basis. I mean, a whole educational system. And now it's trickled down into our schools, but we can't even have prayer in school anymore. What happens, and it's it's very easy to fall into, is instead of looking at somewhat a doctrine of exclusion, which is what monotheism is, except for you believe in this one true God, then there is no salvation, that's eternal right. life in that's heaven right. for you. That's right. There's going to be somebody that's excluded. If you don't believe, you're excluded. When you start dealing with mass groups of people and you're looking at, you know, like you say, some of the schools and then even, you know, some other groups... They step back and, and, and adopt what, you, what we consider a theory of inclusion. Well, we want everybody to be able to come and be a part. We don't want to say to you, if you don't believe this way, then you can't get in. And I've even heard some people who profess to be Christians say that they believed, even if you weren't a Christian, as long as you worshipped the God that you worshipped fully, yeah. then you would be in heaven. Because... It's, it's easier, is it not? I yes. mean, it, you get the warm fuzzy yes. when you can believe that as long as somebody's dedicated to what they're doing, that they're going to be okay. But when you have to step back and draw a line in the sand and say, except for you go, there is no other way except for you go this way, damnation is what is what is going to be your end. That's hard to say to people. Yes, it is. And when you have a group or if you have something that's dependent on the donations, the support of the masses, yes. if you make those kinds of statements, you turn off a large port of the pop, uh, portion of the population. And if you're not ready to do that, then you have to say, well, everybody can come. It doesn't matter what you believe. Everybody can do. Now, do we embrace everybody? Of course we do, because you can't win people to Christianity if you don't ever go around them. And so, yes, everybody can come to this church. But I would be lying to you if I tell you that if you don't ever receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you would also be with me in heaven. 
I can't tell you that. We could fellowship down here on earth together. But if you decide you don't want him, our fellowship will end when we die. And that's how we have to look at it. Now, we don't, you know, judge people and say, get away from me, get away from me. I, all I can do is live my life in such a way that as I fellowship with them, they will want to be who I am and, and have what I have. And they will say, well, there's something about this God that she's serving. You know, he's, he's there for her. He provides, he protects, whatever. Maybe I should listen to what it is she's saying. But if I go around and, and all I preach to them is, you know, your God's not good enough. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. And if I don't ever give them a reason why they should turn away, then I've lost them. I may have given them the truth, but I've still lost them. Okay? Yes. I just a couple of points I want to bring out. Like what Larry was saying about the colleges. But if we sit and look at our family, I'm born in a family with a total of eight siblings. And both parents always there. And church was something that we did. Believing Jesus was something that you did in the household. You believed there was a Jesus. You believed in Jesus. You believed that if you did wrong, you would go to hell. So we, we believe that a heaven and a hell. Mm-hmm. So when I look at the other seven siblings now, as far as stepping up to be saved, then it's me. But the rest of them still have that partial belief mm-hmm. that it's a heaven or a hell. Mm-hmm. So then when I look at some of the grandchildren, now we've got grandchildren that believe in Muhammad and other things. So that's what I'm looking at. Colleges didn't take that long for, you know, the first group of graduates may believe, but then maybe uh, the next couple, then it began to break up. So I'm just looking at my household as being, you know, what yeah, I grew up It doesn't it take, long. take long. It doesn't take long. come away from uh, what my mom and dad believed and what they taught us. That, you know, there was a Jesus, there was a heaven and a hell, mm-hmm. you do wrong. You know, they didn't go into salvation, but they sort of gave you sort of a foundation. And it was mm-hmm. up to we as individuals to build on it. The other thing I wanted to bring out was Zipporah and Jethro. Mm-hmm. Zipporah stepped up as a wife. I don't know how much she knew about Jehovah, but she knew what to do and not to do because she made sure her son was circumcised to protect her husband. So I look at that as a very, very good thing. When you look at women that have husbands as leaders mm-hmm. and may get so involved, and Moses got so involved with doing what God called him to do that he neglected home, but he had a wife. I don't know who taught them about Jehovah. I don't know the background of them. But the woman knew, if I don't do this, my husband's going to die. And she did that. So... To me, when you bring that into this time period, your wives, mm-hmm. instead of sometimes they get so upset because husbands spending too much time at church, mm-hmm. they may need to look and see, am I covering the bases at home? What we have to look at, too, um, they were ancestors of Abraham. Okay. Yeah, uh, Jethro and Zippor were ancestors of Abraham by his second wife yeah. after Sarah's death. So they would have had, they had knowledge of Jehovah. And it's also, too, thought that the, it was the second child that had not been circumcised. So from that, we have to assume that you know, possibly the, 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 the first child was. Yeah. And for whatever reason, 
he chose not to circumcise the second child. So she would have known, and you know, she either whether she was against uh, that particular ritual at first or what, and he was, you know, not doing it because she was against it is what some people believe. But whatever reason he did not circumcise the second child, she did step up to the plate and say, "Look, this is what your God is requiring. We've got to do this." We've got to do this. Uh, but two, with your family, one thing we have to not neglect. to it, We can take our kids to church. We can tell them that there is a heaven and there is a hell. But if we don't give them reasons why, if we don't show them why they should believe, tell them why they should believe, and they see examples of why they should believe in our own lives, then, then no, they're not going to. If they don't get it, from home, possibly, they'll get it from somewhere else. But if they don't get it from somewhere else, it's not going to take much before they drift off and they're not going to come to church or, they're not, or they may just be those people that live how they want to any kind of way and then as long as I show up at church every so often, I'm okay. So it's up to us. Just like it was up to, you know, the ancestors here, it's up to us to, to pass on our beliefs to our children in a way that it's not just telling them, well, you have to do this because I said so. I mean, you know, we've all done that with other things. This is the rule. It's the rule because I said so. Well, that rule, if you're lucky, gets followed for as long as you're standing in the room. And then when you leave the room, do it because I said so doesn't help you. It doesn't help the person that's trying to follow the rule if that's the, the only reason I have. But if you give me some reasons, like we had this poster that's called Why Wait? It's about being sexually active before you're married. Now, of course, we can give people the reasons. You don't want to have sex before you're married because you can get this disease. You can do this. this that. When kids are in the heat of the moment, the thought of the, the chance that they may possibly get some kind of disease is far from them. But if instead we step back and we teach them, you should wait because of the spiritual implication, not because the Bible says so. Because of the spiritual implications of every person you choose to have a sexual relationship with, they become a part of you. You become a part of them. You're forever connected to that person. There is a special part of you that God has given you that he wants saved for the person that he has given you to be your spouse, to be experienced in a marriage. If you give them that scenario, then when they're in the heat of the moment, they can stop and think about that do I want to give this special part of me to this person? Do I want to form that bond with them or do I want to wait? That is something that's more real to them than there's a 40% chance that you may walk away from this with a disease that a shot of penicillin can't cure. You know, 40%, okay, well, I got a 60% chance that I won't. I'm going to gamble on it. So what I'm saying is we have to give people a reason why. It's not just... You need to come to church because you need to come to church. You need to accept Jesus as your Savior because if not, when you die, you're going to hell. Well, okay, fine. Well, you're telling me something's going to happen to me when I die. I'm not dead yet. And, you know, and everybody has in the back of their mind the possibility of all I got to do is say those magic words as I'm dying and I'm in there. I can live the way I want to as long as I say those words. But if we teach them the importance of covenant, the relationship, aspect of Christianity and how we are better people, we are happier people, well-adjusted people 
because we have a Savior that cares about us, because we have his Holy Spirit in our lives, well, then they can look at that. That's something they can work with. They can look at us and see how we handle situations that we're in, and they can decide for themselves, well, I can see that. I want to be a part of that. But sometimes we take for granted that they know those things, so we don't teach them. So when they move away from us, they become... Uh, involved with a religion where, yeah, this is somebody that, you you know, they're trying to win you over. And so they tell you all of that. We haven't told them all of that. And so, yes, they fall prey to that. And so here we have the children of Israel who they've been exposed to all of the gods of Egypt. Now, remember, Egypt is a prosperous area. And so why wouldn't you think, well, hey, maybe there's something to that? You know, surely many gods have to be better than one. Many's always better than one. You know, I mean, so if you think about, if you don't, if they didn't have knowledge of or have experienced the relationship that their ancestors had experienced, if all they'd done is heard it, but they haven't experienced it, then sure, very easily, you go with whoever seems to be doing the best at the time. Okay? We're about out of time. Any last one or two questions? Okay, I think we will have a guest uh, person for Sunday school next week, I believe. And then we will pick up after that. Uh, We will be in Exodus 21 through 24. And the thing interesting about that, and we've picked up with the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. Chapters 21 through 24 give us other laws and regulations. If you haven't already read through that, I encourage you to read through that. And I'm going to give you a little assignment. You can go to this website. Let's see. Little assignment for those of you with internet access. Georgia.gov. And there is a tab that says, I'm sure it says laws and regulations. You guys can find it somewhere on there. And it will take you, it will ask you if you want to leave this site, you'll say yes, or it'll automatically take you there. And it will take you to what is called, abbreviated as OCGA, which is nothing more than the official code of Georgia. And through that, you can navigate your way through there, and you can pull up laws and regulations for the state of Georgia. And I want you to see if you can pick out some laws and regulations for the state of Georgia that are strikingly similar to some of the laws and regulations of the nation of Israel as God gives them to them. And you will see how, although now we have to fight over whether or not we want the Ten Commandments hung up in our government buildings, that we were not smart enough just to pick these laws and things out of our head. They are based on the laws and regulations. Because here we have a nation of people now that, that are out here and we're starting a society And when you have a society, there has to be laws and regulations. Okay? Very good. Everybody got that? You guys? Oh, let's close with prayer real quick. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you continue to have your way. Friends, I know you have been truly blessed by this presentation brought to you by the Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center Media Ministry. Remember, if you are looking for a church home, we would be glad to have you each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center is located at 180 Helton Road in Bremen, Georgia. For more information, give us a call at 770-537-1933 or visit us on the web at www.kingdomrock.org.